glad to be here this morning. Let's sing so loud that everybody out here wonders what we're doing in here. Amen. Sing it out. Lord, I want to feel your heart. See the world through your eyes. I want to be your hands and feet. I want to live a life that Choo-choo-choo. 
Lord of hosts, you're with us, with us. 
Facebook account and find out what is really going on in your lives. And uh, as I was having one of those moments this week, I came across, and I, I don't remember, it wasn't someone from our church family, but it was in that network of friendships that are represented in that format. Uh, I came across um, a post where someone was advertising um, a yard sale, you know, garage sale, whatever you want to call it, and they had all kinds of household belongings and clothing, I mean, just a wealth of things, and they were advertising that they were scaling down and that they, as they're getting ready to scale down, they've got to, they've got to move some stuff out. 
And as I was looking at that, I was just thinking about my life, and I was thinking about our lives, and how life goes through cycles. And I was talking with some, some folks before church about how we change as, as people as the years pass. And, and uh, I wish I knew back when my kids were young what I know now that I have grandkids. Um, things that I thought were just so important back then uh, that drove my parenting that my philosophy has completely changed. There are things that I thought were so important and now I realize that really was not the main event in, in raising my kids and I wish I could have some of those years back. If, if you have reached that stage of life that you get what I'm talking about and you've even thought that about yourself, can you say amen? amen. I mean, it happens. And, and it happens at every stage. Um, when, when you move from childhood to to your teenage years, things change. When you move from being a, a teenager to being a young adult, some things change. And it's just a progression, and it's just a part of life. It's a part of moving through the stages of, of our existence. And um, when you look to the Scripture, you find a couple of, more than a couple of people, but a couple I want to point out. One is Solomon in the Old Testament, and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And both of these men have moved through... Uh, years of living and from that vantage point are looking back over their shoulders and evaluating uh, the meaning of their existence. And Solomon really, really goes into it in the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. And he starts off the book by saying, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Boy, that's an extreme statement. Um, but then he, he goes on and he breaks it down and he says wisdom is meaningless, folly is meaningless, advancement is meaningless, uh, position is meaningless, power is meaningless, possessions and wealth are meaningless. And he just he looks at all these things and, and you really get almost a little bit depressed as you're reading his words because you're like, oh wow, did he find anything at all positive about his existence? But he has a purpose, he's going somewhere. And remember, he's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit as he writes these words. And what God is, is saying to Solomon and through Solomon is that a part, of, a part of life's passage has to do with redefining the meaning of our existence. And so we are forever, as long as we're on this earth, we are forever going to be hopefully improving the uh, application of ourselves to the days that God is blessing us with. The, the Scripture says, make the most of every opportunity in the daylight for night is coming. In other words, there's going to come a time when you're not going to have the same opportunities you have at the present. So be careful to redeem the moment, to redeem the time, and to make wise investments of your life and your energy and your uh, abilities to that which has eternal meaning. And so, sure enough, Solomon gets to the end of Ecclesiastes and he says, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And what he's saying is, as you're busy being successful, and we all care about being successful, we want to make our mark. We want to, we want to make a difference. We want to be a blessing not only to our families, but to our community and, and to those that we care about. We, we want to be a blessing within the context of our church family. And Solomon says, while you're busy trying to be a blessing, while you're busy trying to be successful, don't leave God out. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And remember that He's put you here for a purpose. And remember that, that God created you with a very specific design in mind. And as you lay your heart in His hands, God will direct your steps in such a way that you won't have to get to the end of your life and bemoan the fact that you wasted all of your resources and all of your energy and all of your intellect on that which ends up being meaningless. The Apostle Paul in a briefer format, basically says the same thing over in, over in Philippians 3. And I'll begin reading with verse 7. Paul was Saul of Tarsus. And one day as he was on his way to persecute Christians in Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to him. You'll find that account in Acts chapter 9. And as Jesus appears 
to Saul of Tarsus. He challenges Saul and says, Why are you going against my will for your life? Why are you leaving me out when I've given you every opportunity to understand who I am and that I am one with the Father that you are so diligent about serving? And so Saul of Tarsus opens his heart to Jesus in that moment and then becomes known as Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles. Paul is changing. God has has changed his mind about a lot. The things that he pursued as a Pharisee suddenly became less meaningful to him. All of the rigors to which he gave himself in order to be defined as a success in this life, suddenly all of that changed. And so with that in mind, listen to what he writes to the Philippian believers. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, everything that I was doing before that I labeled as the way to be successful in life, it's all changed. As a matter of fact, as he continues, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of believing. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participate in in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then He defines it. He says, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. His life was completely redefined by coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But understand, Paul knew that salvation is not just a faith event that happens in a moment. It is that, but it is more than that, because he would write to Timothy later on, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so Paul understood that there comes that moment when Jesus brings you to faith and helps you to see that that being in relationship with Him is the best that any person can do in their lives. But then once you've come to that faith relationship, life becomes that opportunity to grow in that relationship and to be impacted by that which Christ holds as the core values for a human being. And core values are so very important to all of us. And some of us are, are very mindful of that and others of us without really being intentional about thinking about it, are making decisions on the basis of what we have come to hold as most valuable in our lives as human beings. Now all of that to say this. What I think I need in life has changed through the years. When I was 17 years old, I needed a 72 Nova Supersport. Y'all, that's what I lived for. I, I went to the Chevrolet dealership and I found the brochure and I brought it home and I studied it. Because I didn't just want to go and, and get a Nova off the lot. I wanted a Nova the color I wanted it. Equipped the way I wanted it equipped. And it was very important to me, whatever it meant, that it had SS on the side, super sport. Because at 17 years old, I was a super sport (laughs) when it came to cars. And then, as time went on, and I got the Nova, 
And I did enjoy that car. But then it was time to go to college and, and it was time to make decisions and about pursuing college and answering God's call upon my life. And of all things, the Nova that I lived to own, I sold so I could go to college. College became that value that overtook the value of the Nova. College, not just going to college, but God had called me to ministry. And nothing could get in the way of preparing for ministry. And so I went to college to prepare for ministry, and then girls got in the way of college. <laughs> and finally, this one girl just wore me down. And we got married the summer after my sophomore year. And yes, I'm still married to her. <laughs> 45 years in July. And that, that relationship became so important that we had to find a way. We were, our goal was, we'll get married after we finish school. And then our goal was, we'll get married after our junior year. We got engaged January of our sophomore year. We'd been friends since day one in our freshman year. Just buddies. I would date who I dated, and she would date who she dated. And... Um, then she started dating this one guy and getting pretty serious, and I thought, that ain't going to happen. And so I cut in. And so we got engaged in January, and now we didn't want to wait until our junior year, so we got married that summer uh, in July after we were engaged in January. And then um, life began to happen, and um, we knew that we wanted a family, and and so Tommy came along, and he became truly a priority in our lives. And, and oh, how we enjoyed that little fellow growing up and, and being a part of our lives. And then Christy came, and, and things are just changing, changing, changing. Uh, I become pastor of First Church of God in Columbia, South Carolina. Went there as youth pastor, served as youth pastor for a year and a half. Bless those kids. Oh, they'd have been a lot better off with Philip, I'm telling you. Um, and, but then I became pastor, and I was determined, when I was associate pastor working for Brother Jackson, I knew exactly what he needed to do. Are you with me? As his associate, I knew exactly what he needed to do as a pastor. And then I became the pastor. And I, I thought, oh Lord, what do I do with this? I, I never knew you handled that. What am I going to do about this? I don't, and so I start calling Brother Jackson in retirement. Hey, can you tell me what I need to do about... And I was determined to be successful as a young pastor. I was going to be the best young pastor that had ever been called to serve a church in this world. And I worked day and night striving to be the very best that I could be to reach people for Christ, to train uh, to higher levels, to, to never stop moving forward. And while that all sounds very honorable, as I did that, I spent no time with my kids. Becky raised the kids, and I worked all the time. I worked day and night. We were there for 10 years and uh, ended up being called to Sumter. And one of the best things that could have ever happened in my life, Leon King said to me, as you pastor this church, don't you dare neglect your family. And no one had ever said that to me. Brother Jackson neglected his family in his ministry, and I determined that he was successful, and if I was going to be successful, church had to come before everything else. And that's the way I lived. And I came here, and one of the leaders of the church, along with a host of other leaders in the church, encouraged me to spend time with my family and to treat church life like, like extended family life. And it changed everything about ministry. I mean, it really, Leon and, and some others told me that if a church member asks you to go play golf, that is your job. What? Really? I went and got me some golf clubs. And... Um, then they told me that if a church member wants to go fishing, that's ministry. I bought me some rods and reels. 
got me the best that I could get so that I could be out there with the brothers, you know, doing the work of the Lord. And, and so things, things evolve, things change. Where am I going with all this? Here's where I'm going. All of us have inherent needs that sometimes are eclipsed by what we think we need. I thought I needed a 72 Nova, that, that, would, that would make my life complete. In some ways, as a 17-year-old, it kind of felt like it did, but it didn't. And even going into ministry, it felt like that, that being a successful minister in that setting where, where God gave me an opportunity to serve, that if, that if that were accomplished, that would answer that need in my life. And to a level it did, but it, it also didn't. Very quickly, let me share with you four things that I need in life. I need a truth to live by. Amen. To be able to wake up every day and know that there's something I can give myself to that is of essence. That is not just valuable in this life and in this culture, but is eternally valuable. And God has shown me what that is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is that truth to which I can devote my life to. And it means something. And it has a myriad of applications. There's no end to what it means to live an existence that is focused on loving God and loving the people that God has put around you. And then you look at the life of Jesus and you find that Jesus was the epitome of living in loving relationship with the Father and with people. Love is that core value, that truth to which I can devote my life and it becomes continually satisfaction, continual satisfaction in my life. Why? Because that's what we were created for, to live in loving relationship. And then I need a cause that's worth dying for. I, I need to have something that I can give myself to that's not here today and gone tomorrow. That's not changing with every blowing whim that comes along. Cars change, houses change. Uh, everything changes. Clothing, the fashions change. It all changes. This year, this is the book you've got to read. Next year, it'll be a different book, a different author that you need to, to go after, that you might grow in your level of understanding and knowledge. But the cause that is worth dying for that survives all of the whims of change through which we move, is the Gospel. The good news about Jesus Christ. I will lay down my life for the Gospel of Christ because I know that is the one thing that will make all of the difference in your life for all of eternity. I might encourage you to to try a certain car because I've had that car or to live in a particular neighborhood because I lived there at one time and and you may buy that car and move into that neighborhood and everything that I enjoyed about it changed over time and now it is no longer satisfactory to what you would like to have in your life. But I can know that as I lay down my life for preaching the Gospel, that it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your religious background, regardless of your philosophy about life, the truth is the good news about Jesus dying on a cross and walking out of a tomb to ascend into heaven forever changes everything for everyone who will dare to believe. And then I need a friend who won't walk away. And I've got some good friends. Many of you right here in this room. 
friends that I have enjoyed life with at different seasons in my life. My son is named after the friend who brought me to Christ. There are people that I've served with in ministry and served with in ministry who are dear to my life, who are friends, friends who will not walk out. My wife is a friend who will not walk out. My family loves me no matter what. Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I thought I needed a 72 Nova way back then, and, and I thought I needed a pickup truck that year, and I thought I needed to live here, and then I thought I, maybe we ought to live there, and all of that changes. And any of it just satisfies for a little while. But friendships that are true are the treasures of life. Y'all know one of, one of my dear buddies is Matt Rowe. He turned 50 the other day, and I called him to wish him a happy birthday. I'll be 65 this year, and Lord, he was bemoaning 50 like he's 20 years older than I am. <laughs> but friends, people that you can, you can have a conversation with, whether it's over the phone or face-to-face, -face, and you haven't seen each other for you know, for months and haven't talked, but it's like you, you've never left one another's company because God has given you a heart for one another. David and Jonathan in the Old Testament had that kind of friendship. I pray you have a friendship like that. Because I can tell you today that all of us need a truth to live by and a cause worth dying for, and we need a friend who will not walk out on us. Someone who cares about our existence and will lay down anything and everything to be there for us in a moment of crisis. And then as I was thinking on these truths, I thought, you know, and this really just sums it all up, I need an, etern an eternity that is certain, because this life is so uncertain. I need a light at the end of the tunnel. I, I need to know that when life has done its worst to me, and Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. I need to know that when life has been impossible, that at the end of this road, there really is a street where the pavement is made of gold, where the entry is a pearl that opens up to allow your entrance. I need to know that at the end of this existence, there is a Jesus waiting for me on the other end who will wipe every tear from my eye and will make everything right in an instant. Answer all of my questions. Settle all of my fears. Alleviate all of my doubts. And help me to know in that moment when I've entered into that grand place that He has prepared for me, that this is what I was made for of all of the things I thought I needed, this is what I need more than anything else, to be in the presence of God, in the glorious place called heaven. Not for just a little while, but forevermore. A place where there's no more pain, no more parting, no more tears, no more doubts, no more questions. A place where when we walk in, we know we're finally home. And now, we finally have everything we need. I don't know what you're living for today. You might be in school working for that next degree. And I've been that route, and I'm thankful for those days of education. I'm not saying that's not important. It is important. But if you're not careful, you'll lay aside everything else to make all A's to get that degree. And then you've got that degree, and you find out there's more to, to your existence. Go for that degree, but don't forget God in the process. And don't forget the things that He would have you to focus on. Love. 
the gospel, friendship, heaven. And here's the thing about heaven, and I'll close with this thought. I not only want to go there, I want to take as many people with me as I possibly can. You know? I mean, I just I want to take as many people with me as I possibly can. And so every day I pray, God, would you please be so present in my life that just in the normal interactions of being with people, that you would allow something to happen, something to transpire that would cause someone to think about their walk with you and to think about what's most important for them as they move toward that future that they're trying to secure and make the best that it can possibly be. What are you living for? Is it worthy of you? Or is it possible that with the Apostle Paul that some of us may need to take inventory and say, you know what? I consider all of that stuff that I've been giving priority to, I consider it as garbage compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus and the power of His resurrection at work in my life. It might be time for some changes in your life. Listen to what the Spirit is saying this morning. Father, as we come to You, we pray that You would help us, Lord, at this time in our existence to take stock and to make sure, Lord, that we are moving in pursuit of those things that are worthy of our lives. If there are things we are striving for that are keeping us from the better things that You have for us, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would make that obvious to each and every one of us. Somebody here this morning, Lord, is supposed to let go of one thing to take hold of another thing that is worthy of their pursuit. So speak to our hearts about the particulars. Show us the specifics as individuals that we might appropriately follow the leading of Your Spirit as this Word has been brought to us this morning. Help us to say with the Apostle Paul, I'm not there yet. But I am committed to taking hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. May that be our prayer this morning. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
You are. 